This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. My guest today is the one and only Dan Navarro. Dan was so kind to do this interview because he had just arrived in London, and it was about one in the morning for him when we recorded. His career is as varied as it is long. It started when he was just a kid with his cousin Dave, but it began several branches earlier in his family tree. Dan has done everything from being a singing waiter to a voiceover artist to doing jingles to writing iconic pop songs. In fact, his job as a singing waiter is where he met his longtime collaborator, Eric Lowen. But it wasn't an instant connection. Once they clicked, it was obvious to them what they had. They wrote and recorded and toured like crazy. But a personal tragedy almost ended his musical career. It ultimately resulted in writing one of the most well-known songs from the 80s. And years later, when Eric couldn't tour anymore due to advancing ALS, Dan forged a new career as a solo artist. He also became a prolific live streamer during the pandemic, streaming six days a week. He's released his latest album, Horizon Line, and no surprise, it's full of great music. There's so many great stories behind these songs, and Dan tells me as many of them as he can before he has to get some sleep. You can get the album at dannavarro.com or wherever you buy music. Follow him on Twitter at Dan Navarro or Facebook and Instagram at Dan Navarro Music. Follow us at Performance ANX, and you can be our hero supporting us through ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety or performanceanx.threadless.com. And don't sleep on this episode with Dan Navarro on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Dan Navarro, and I'm... Hi, I'm Dan Navarro. Check out my new album, Horizon Line, on Red Hen Records. Right now, I'm on Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea, and I'm going to be talking about stuff that you don't know yet. Stick around. Hi, I'm Dan Navarro, and I'm on Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea. I'm Performance Anxiety right now, I swear to God. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to say. Said I never. Stick around. Let's talk. I think I'm going to use all of those. Thank you very much for that. I guess it's evening for you. It's 1 o'clock over here. I know. Oh, my gosh. Uh I appreciate you doing this, and uh, my pleasure. Thanks I'll, for having me. I'll try not to keep you too long. I know you got to get some, <laughs> some sleep at some point. <laughs> well, you know, sleep is for babies, actually. But I've heard that's, that's what I believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you hopping on, and after traveling all the it's been way a crazy to London, time. it's well, it's it's you don't know the half of it, my friend. Oh no, I'm trying to buy a house right now. <laughs> In the two days I've got here, tomorrow and the next day before I go to Prague, I've got to try to get everything done or else I may, I don't want to lose the place. I'll lose, you know, I'll lose my earnest money. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it, but it's a, it's a, it's a large task. Uh, yeah. We, my wife and I bought a house a couple of years ago and we went through similar stuff. It's no fun. Well, I bought one nine months ago and I'm buying another one. Oh my gosh. It's nuts. <laughs> I don't know what I'm thinking. Actually, I know exactly what I'm thinking. First of all, the house is going to outperform my stock portfolio. So here well, we go. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Well, what I, the way I normally like to get things rolling is to find out a little bit about how you got into music in the first place. And it seems to me like you've got music in your family. Your cousin Dave plays guitar with right. James Addiction, with Hot Chili Peppers, his own solo work. Was music big in the family? Were they really, was it, was it an important part of the family dynamic? 
music, arts in general, was big in my entire family. My grandfather on my dad's side, that's my grandfather and my cousin Dave Navarro's grandfather, uh, was a playwright and a journalist wow. and uh, worked for the studios synchronizing Spanish language voice mm. tracks. Oh, wow. Um, and was part of the Mexican-American arts community in Los Angeles uh, from basically about the 1920s until he passed away in 1950. Wow. Um, And so both my dad and my uncle Mike, Dave's dad, and my uncle Dan were steeped in the arts. We were, they were, you know, part of, they were encouraged to be creative people. My father wrote, my father did radio at one point in time and a little bit of television. Uh, and so I was encouraged to do bits of everything. I've been, I was a journalist in high school. I wanted to be a cartoon. I act um, off camera mostly, almost 99 and 99, 100% off camera, although occasionally on camera. Okay. And um, I was, I was encouraged to get into music uh, when they, when the, um, they came around and said, you know, we were starting a school band. Uh, what instrument would your kid like to play? And there was a new teacher in town named Tom Bromling who was uh, teaching the kids how to play wind instruments and things like that. So I took up the trumpet in the fourth grade nice. and played that until I hit junior high. Then I moved over to French horn and played that all through junior high, high school and college at UCLA. Wow. Um, I was part of the UCLA band and um, played in the jazz ensemble for a couple of years at UCLA on French horn. I also knew that I could sing, but there weren't a lot of opportunities where I grew up. It was um, our, we had, there was an eighth grade mixed choir, but the high school choir was uh, girls only. Um. So I didn't really sing. It was also the garage band era. So I would audition for garage bands, but none of them wanted me to be in it because I was a dork. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily matter whether you can sing. You got to be cool to be in a, in a band. Right. Uh, so I didn't join bands. I sang a little bit with a couple of friends senior year in high school, and I would do one song at church, get together by the young bloods, but I knew I could do it. I didn't try out for anything my first year at UCLA because I figured this school is three times the size of my hometown. Right. Uh, there's no way that I'm going to make any group. And somebody heard me one night um, in a place where I was living. Somebody was playing the piano and I sang the song and he kind of went, I didn't know you could do that. And I went, Yeah. I can. He goes, you should go out for the men's glee club. So I did. And I got in and men's glee club became my main activity at UCLA the next four years. As, uh, as I learned how to blend voices, I learned how to place my voice. I learned how to sight read choral music. I already read music and just understood what the blend is in a multi-voice situation. It became my main thing. And about two years into college, I got this urge that I wanted to start writing songs. Oh, okay. And so I did that too. And all of a sudden, I'm in college and I'm a singer-songwriter, uh, fledgling, new at it, you know, written a half a dozen songs. Uh, my last year there, somebody broke my heart and I wrote like 20 songs in three months. But <laughs> and so I was off to the races. Wow. Um, and I will say my first cut, was from that crop of songs. There was a, uh, oh my gosh, uh, there, there, there's a song on my last album that was from that crop of songs, and wow. there's a song on my new album that's from that crop of songs. That songs I resurrected years after I thought they were pretty much over and done. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try doing that in person. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to Performance Anxiety listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. That's betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. The arts in general has been a big part of what I do. I got an opportunity as a, uh, you know, as an adult to sing on a commercial in Spanish uh, in 1988. And uh, there's a dog barking in the background. Yeah, there's one barking in the background in my house, too. Oh, that's yours. And there's a dog here where I am. <laughs> I, got the op- I got the opportunity to sing a jingle for a mattress company in 1988. And there was a woman on the session who contracted Spanish language vocal work for all kinds of things. Um, most of them through the Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA, the two then two unions are both merged now. Right. So all of a sudden, she gives me a call after about a month and says, you want to come sing on a jingle? And I did. And... And uh, that opened up a whole other career, a parallel career, as a singer in commercials, later a singer in films, a voiceover in commercials, later a voice actor in films, all of which I've been doing as a going concern now for 34 years. Oh, wow. And it's a little strange. I never really set out. I was, I was already in my 30s when I started doing that. And I figured, well, I'll just do it till it goes away. You know, I'm lucky to get, I'm lucky to get a gig. I'll probably never get another gig, but I'll just keep saying yes. If they keep asking, Right. they kept asking. So the next thing I know, I mean, it's really not the next thing I know. I'm, I'm a course of years over 10 years past. And I'm suddenly a singer, songwriter, touring, recording artist, session singer, voice actor. And it all just sort of grew organically from a basic thing, which is, um, willingness. And yeah, do you, you want me to do that? Sure, I'll do that. No problem. Being open um, to, to new opportunities and things you weren't expecting. Well, exactly. And the thing is that, you know, I might get scared and think I can't do it, but I never let him see me sweat. And right. I figure I'll, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. And the main thing is, is uh, you know, you start and you just, it's constant motion. Don't rest. Don't stop. Keep going. And, you know, when they take a break, you can stop. But in other words, if you've got something to do, it's a little like improv. Whatever you do, don't stop. Right. Just keep the ball going. And so that's what I've done in this career. Um, I wrote songs for probably by the time We Belong happened in 1984. I had been writing songs in one form or another for about 15 years. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden one clicks 
And all, and so then literally all of a sudden I have not just a, a passion or a hobby or a skill set. I have a career. Yeah. And I kept going and kept going and kept going. I mean, you know, one hit song does not necessarily make a career. You know, how many, how many whiskers are in a beard right. is really like, you know, <laughs> and in this case, I just kept going and there's been, a, there's been a lot of good luck and there's been a good amount of bad luck. Uh, songs that never happened, songs where they said, we're going to record it and they never did it. Songs where they said, it's going on the album, it's going to be a single and it wasn't a single. And then things that came from out of nowhere. But I've been in the swing of it, in the stream, in the arena, doing this in one form or another for uh, 46 years. Wow. And that's the crazy ass part. So, I've done it for that long. So how did you meet Eric Lowen and start playing with him? Well, there was a slow period in my singer-songwriter career. I had been, I wasn't making a living at it at all. I was, I was doing it a little, but I was, um, you know, occasionally I'd play a troubadour hoot night or play a little place called Honey Creek Farms in, uh, in uh, Hollywood. Okay. And um, I needed, I was working for Tower Records as a clerk buyer, you know, for, for the country folk and bluegrass and classical section. Oh, okay. And a buddy of mine was working as a singing waiter at a place that was half again closer to my home than Tower was. And I would go on the way home and stop there, hang out, have a couple of beers, play some songs, and hang out with my friends. And then one day it occurred to me, if I go to work here, I only have to drive half as far to work, and I'll be here and I'll get paid for this time, and I'll hang out with my pal, and I'll get to make some music, and I'll make the same amount of money in one fewer day of work a week. Oh, wow. So I left Tower after three years. And went to work at the Great American Food and Beverage Company, High Pockets, in Hollywood, really West Hollywood, La Cienega and Santa Monica, and worked there for a couple of years. One particular spring period, I was on the road. They let you take breaks. They let you take leaves of absence to go on the road. Oh, cool. So I went on the road as a backing singer with Severin Brown, who's a wonderful artist who happens to be Jackson Brown's brother, and he was a one of my best friends. Oh, wow. He said, yeah, I'm going on the road. How would you and... And Lisa liked to come sing backups with me. And it was a three-week tour. I'd never toured. I was in 1978. I was 26 years old. And while I was gone, they hired Eric to replace me. And when I came back, um, I didn't get my shifts back right away. Uh, uh, then when I did, they made him one of the managers. So he worked there. And the whole thing with the singing waiter thing is that you've got a space between when you put the order in and your meal comes and... In that space, you're expected to pick up a guitar and sing. Everybody who worked there was a was a singer of, and songwriter or a singer and artist of some sort. Okay. And so there was constant music, and it was part of the vibe. Well, I met Eric, and and we didn't really care for each other initially. First of all, he had my job, which really bothered me. Yeah, um, makes sense. And he was taller and better looking, and had possessed this, this amazing tenor voice and he had a better guitar than me and I really didn't like him very much. Um, he didn't like me very much because I was sort of full of myself. Oh, I'm a really good songwriter and, and all this stuff. But a couple of times, we ended up singing together one night in an after-hour situation and fell into perfect harmonies wow. instantly. We sort of initially kind of you know, got in each other's way. And I made a hand signal, uh, taking my two fingers in a sideways V and flipping them. 
from the palm of my hand, which, and he stayed high, I stayed low. We absolutely locked. And it was like, wow. Okay, well, we maybe, maybe better figure this friendship thing out because this is pretty magical. <laughs> and so we did that for several years. I mean, wow. literally from about, oh, I don't know, late 78, early 79 until, well, we did that for a while. I went to go live in London in 1980 and I had asked him to join a band and he said he didn't want to. He reconsidered, but by the time he reconsidered, I decided to leave the country to wow. um, try my hand at something different in Britain. And so I went for eight months, but we stayed in touch. And when it came time for me, it, there, I realized there was a point when I should go back. And I joined a band that he was in, and we started working together pretty steadily. You know, it came out of that just that weird chance thing of going to this restaurant to hang out with my bro. That's amazing. And being open to working maybe with somebody you didn't care for at the beginning. Well, yeah, I mean, we, you know, I, we liked each other better than we thought we did, but there were, we were very different personalities and that became very apparent um, in how we dealt with each other. When we started singing well together, we realized we need to do this more. It was, we didn't exactly say, let's start a duo or let's start a partnership. You know, you had to sing these songs anyway as part of your job. So we figured let's make the job better by practicing and learning some songs and getting better and better on stuff. And that's where we got started. Um, okay. We didn't start doing original material of our own for two more years after that. And okay. then, then we did start doing that and, and completely blew our own minds that it worked. <laughs> Still can't believe it ever worked, but it did. And all of a sudden we cracked it and, we got a major artist doing one of our songs, and it's like, oh my gosh, we just broke in. That's we amazing. don't know what's going to happen, but we just broke in. albums later you guys just had you had a very consistent release schedule every couple of years something else would come out and right. I, it looks like you guys toured a lot we toured like crazy we were at a stage where you know the when we belong happened a band was formed to capitalize on that and i wasn't in that band there's a long backstory about me being in that band with him when i got back from england for three years at the, uh, there, there reached a point where the band was saying, you know, Dan's not showing up on time to, to sound checks. He's preoccupied. He's working really hard at his day job. I think we, you need to talk to him and get him to redouble his commitment. Well, I had just gone through a personal tragedy. Um, the whole family had oh. uh, with the death of my, my uh, cousin Dave's mom at the hands of her boyfriend. Oh, wow. And so the company was floundering. Uh, my uncle was a mess. My cousin was a mess. I was a mess. So I couldn't exactly redouble my commitment to the band instead of my day job when there were family responsibilities involved. Right. Um, and I was making a living there, a real living. So I left the band and I was angry and bitter and resentful that I'd been forced to make this decision. 
So I didn't talk to him for a while. A few months later, well, I'm sorry, a couple of a few weeks later, he called me up out of the blue and said, let's write a song. And so I went over there. I didn't want to. Um, I sucked it up and said, look, you're not doing anything. So just do this. Just keep a finger in it, for God's sake. Right. And on that evening in 1983, we wrote We Belong in 90 minutes. Wow. And all of it. We didn't have any idea it would ever be a hit, but we did know that we had done something pretty cool. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about socks for a second. Why not? It's a music podcast. But I tried a pair of socks from Boldfoot and loved them. I've only worn them once because my kids have stolen them. So in my household, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I guess it's fitting because the design I chose was Jailbait. Wait, Jailbird. The design I chose was Jailbird. I might keep that in. The socks are 100% American made and 5% of all proceeds go to veteran charities. It makes sense seeing that Boldfoot is a family and veteran owned company. They have a huge variety of styles. So check out boldfoot.com and buy some of the best socks you've ever slapped on your feet and help veterans while you're at it. That's boldfoot.com. Um, so we started getting together to write weekly and started taking the tape around to publishers and one of them, it got sent to a person who sent it to a person who sent it to a person where it ended up in a box of tapes, you know, for, for Pat Benatar. And she pulled that baby out like a lottery ticket. Wow. I want to do this one. And we were the beneficiaries of that with all of a sudden, you know, working day jobs and in our early thirties, we get a shot. So we dove head first. figured, you know, you're not going to get another shot like this by staying on the outside. So you may as well get inside. And that's what we did. Excellent point. It changed everything. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately we lost Eric to ALS in 2012. Um, right. But you guys, now you guys had ceased touring in 2009. He couldn't do it anymore. Right. It got to the point where it made touring dangerous, life-threatening. Wow. Um, it, we had, we'd had a couple of incidents where he was found unconscious with the breather having fallen out of his mouth oh my God. and um, turning blue. I mean, he was revived a couple of times, I think four times that I'm aware of. Wow. Um, but it put the writing on the wall that we really need to figure this out because yeah. we can't let this happen again. We continued to tour until he literally just didn't have the strength or the ability to breathe strongly enough to be able to sing or even speak a song. So uh, that's when we knocked it on the head, did two farewell shows in mid-2009, and that was it. Wow. Bye-bye. And I, those were in, in my neck of the woods in Arlington and uh, Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Yep, they were indeed. The Rams Head in Annapolis and the Birchmere in Alexandria, uh, both venues that we played a couple of dozen times each. Um, so wow. they were very familiar, and we said, well, if we're going to go out, let's go out there. And so we planned two shows in the middle of 2009 and said goodbye. I don't think we're going to wait for the guitar players to get their stuff together, guys. <laughs> you just sing well enough to make everybody forget they're even there. I know you can do it. I know you can.
find McCabe's Guitar Shop in L.A. That show's recorded. It's, it's my solo album, Live at McCabe's. First to go And the last to go Right there in the thick of it I want to be in the know Small, small talk Big, big deals Around the world Around the block On training wheels I hope I don't miss it I hope I don't stay too long I hope I don't say something that I really mean And it was basically a week, not a week after I started, but after a week, a week after there was no more transition. I was, you know, it was my, my vision now. Yeah. And I, you know, to go out and make or break. So at that point, you knew that you were just going to keep going. There was, there was no. Yeah. There was never a doubt. I mean, there was, I, I began to wonder, why am I doing this? I began to wonder, is this even fun anymore? But I never doubted that I would keep going. I just didn't know. And the first, the early shows were really awkward. My stage pattern is very stilted. I'm not comfortable in my own skin. But once I, as I got more comfortable, I started kind of, you know, Eric and I used to be, used to trade off being straight man and punchline. We would kind of throw some conversation back and forth till somebody found an opening and then like ping pong and you'd slam the ball and (laughs) that person would get the joke for that day or for that five minute period right on your own you got to know where you're taking it and i would meander and or just say much less than was necessary uh and now it's really more of a conversation with the audience sometimes it's short sometimes it's long but it's not really stage patter anymore it's just conversing with the audience and being in the moment. And I've, I've listened to some of the live stuff, more, the recent stuff, and it comes across very natural and very, very much like you said, very much like a conversation. And it's really right, wonderful you. to hear. Thank you, bud. Yeah, that's, that's the intent. I mean, I performed a lot in my life, you know, not just Lowen and Navarro since 1988, but with the old band and solo back in the 70s and in college. And there's a lot I've learned about what it's like to get up there and express this stuff and aim it at a listener and have that listener get it. That's in many ways the hardest part until you know how. Then once you know how, it's the easiest thing in the world. You just get up and you blow. Right. (laughs) Your career reaches into, like like you mentioned earlier, all different aspects of, of music. I mean, you've done voice acting. You've obviously had your musical career. You've also written music for video games. How did you get into doing video game music? Well, I, I, the, I didn't write music for video. I mean, We Belong got used in a couple of video games. And so oh, I was in, I think, Grand Theft Auto. Okay. Uh, so when it gets placed there, it's that. I've done voice acting in three major video games that have sold about 30 million units total. Wow. And that part's really strange because you're just reading these <laughs> words as they go fly by you and you... You know, where you're doing game situations and, you know, so that when you do something, it leads to something else. You know, look at that guy with a gun. Look at that guy with the gun. Look at that guy with a sword. Look at that guy with a sword. What's he going to do with that gun? What's he going to do with that gun? Hey, put down that gun. You know, and you you do the situations. Wow. And you read them like that and you put a little zing on, on them and do them two slightly different ways. So they have something to choose from and you move on. 
we've got a, a, a new album up. And before we get into that, I wanted to ask you about another project you did that I thought was just really a really fun album to listen to. And it's All Wood and Lead. All Wood and Lead. That's James Lee Stanley's franchise. James Lee is an artist of very long standing. He's been recording since the early 70s. Okay. Um, he's in his 70s. And he started about just about 20 years ago, a franchise called All Wood and Stone. They did a record and got a good amount of radio play, sold some units. So they did a second version, a second volume. He did All Wood and Doors with Cliff Eberhardt um, from Massachusetts. And I went to him going, dude, we got to do All Wood and Lead. And so we, you know, prepared some arrangements and figured out how to deconstruct the songs and put them back together differently. Um it didn't hurt from a deconstruction standpoint that he didn't know the catalog that well. Oh, wow. Two or three songs. And of course I was steeped in that stuff. So we picked the songs that we thought we could give something to and completely deconstructed them. They're very different. I mean, you know, a whole lot of loves a Samba. Oh yeah. I mean, that kind of thing. And so, you know, we put it out about a year, a little over a year ago. It's sold pretty decently. It's gotten really great Americana radio play. Oh, cool. But more importantly, it's just a fun record to listen to. It really is. Oh, I love Jamaica. Gosh, that is the coolest reinterpretation of a song Thank I can you, think of. Yeah, it's pretty, it, you know, some of them are pretty strange in a good way. I mean, the idea was not to just be a jukebox. Nobody yeah. needs that. You know, if you really want that, just go listen to Zeppelin. Nobody touches them. Exactly. But we reinvented them, you know, for acoustic guitars and, and uh, just kind of created a new paradigm with them and said, you know, let's see how long it takes you to, to figure out that this is that song. It'll take a minute. If you don't look at what song is being played, it may take a minute because they are. It's almost like a, a mature take on a band that's not known for being really mature. Well, yeah, you got that. I mean, you know, we did, um, oh my God, uh, Over the Hills and Far Away as a waltz. Yes. Uh, we did uh, the Battle of Evermore. Like some kind of druid chant. And then... Uh, <laughs> James took the lead on that. Fool in the Rain is my favorite one. It's like, uh, I mean, you know, we just put it straight out there and good times, bad times. It's oh. like, you know, just a different feel. That, yeah, that's my favorite. It came up pretty fun. That is my after right after Jamaica. That is a good times, bad times is my favorite. I follow that. So, so during the pandemic, you were prolifically live streaming. You were were just a madman and i had to yeah i was gonna go crazy <laughs> everybody went some form of crazy during covid yeah. you know, i'd talk about it with my musician friends and my union friends and and you know family friends everybody got a little nuts because we didn't know what to do with ourselves how many times can you 
go on a bike ride or how many times can you do all these things? So you couldn't talk to anybody. You couldn't see anybody. You couldn't touch anybody. Right. And you were stuck in the house for a long time. And although it's been, you know, two and a half years and there's still some mass mandates out there, there's nothing like that first three to six months. Right. And so I started streaming and I never planned on streaming daily or even close to it. But after the first one, I said, well, I guess I'll see you tomorrow. And after the second one, I went, well, <laughs> I guess I'll see you tomorrow. And next thing I knew, I strung together 16 days. Wow. So then I started doing every Sunday off. I would play Monday through Friday from uh, from 5 to 7, California time. And most of the sets would run long. Uh, and then uh, from noon to 2, I would do stories and talk oh. about this or that and just kind of do a little monologue on you know, here's the the year that we had the, we got the RV for the first time, or here's when we played Constitution Hall, and you know all of these gigs that we had done or these experiences we had, and I started telling stories, and you know I'd rattle on forever, but the audience would kind of send me texts going, we, we they called it the, the oh my god the yammer, like, we like it when you yammer, keep yammering, <laughs> so we'd do it. Did that have uh, an effect on the new album that you've just Not released? Not directly. It had, a, you know, I wrote some songs during that period that I feel very strongly about. Circling the Drain, Rose in the Window were written during that pandemic lockdown. songs were from a year or two before but um you know it just affected not so much how i do stuff but why i do stuff i oh, don't okay it, it, it i realized that the whole process is about engagement is is for an audience to come someplace and invest of themselves and get a little something out of it so that was uh that was the impetus and i went uh <laughs> i went six days a week for five months before i finally said you guys i'm going to stay on saturday and when I did that, I was on a different platform every day. Wow. And so they would follow me around and we'd pick up, you know, there are people who go, well, I don't do Facebook, I'm going to do YouTube. So they would come on the YouTube days. Others would come only on the Facebook days or they would start cross-pollinating. But the okay. idea was to keep it steady, consistent, and persistent. In the 13 months from March of 2020 to April of 2021, I did 250 shows like this. God. And it was a lot. Most I've ever played in a single year ever in my whole career. That is that's amazing, and unfortunately, we're getting low on time. So let's hit. Let, let's talk about the uh, new album, Horizon Line, because I've been listening you. to it a lot, and it, it's so good. Thank you so much. I, I want to talk about the, the, there's certain songs in it that really hit me, and and circling the drain is great. Mm -hmm. It's a great song, but I think my favorite part of that is the bass line. I absolutely love that bass line. Some 
Sebastian Steinberg from Soul Coughing. Oh, okay. And oh, awesome. We, we added him after we added him after we tracked the guitars, and just figured let's put a, let's put that on it, and it came out really well. Hey, came out great. It's, it's one of my favorites. That and Tar Pit. that guitar tone i love that little the uh wah solo sounds yeah it sounds like a steve postel okay tar pit tar pit was a romp tar pit was me i i basically had a situation that i wanted to get involved in and it didn't work out and i felt like i was a little duped you know and so i came up with the metaphor stepped into a tar pit the water looked real because i ended up stuck and um you know, that was my way of getting a little of the anger out and putting a rye spin on it. Okay. And uh, that's probably my, there's between that and another one from my favorite songs on the record. Well, I think my favorite absolutely is Horizon Line, the title track. Thank you, man. It's got a very, and I almost hate saying something like this to, to artists, but it, it's got a, like a Dire Straits feel for mm-hmm. me. And it sounds like you make me, like you wrote it for Mark Knopfler. It's just... It's got that feel. Well, if I sit too long, the television starts telling me it's my friend. When the air goes still, it starts feeling like the end. The siren song that beckons me to move. I can see, I can see that actually. I sit too long. Now the um, <laughs> the idea was to simply tell the story about why I keep doing this. I mean, this has been thirty four years on the road. Wow. And thirty two years, almost thirty three years on the road. And why do I keep doing it? I mean, and it's because I love it. And I can't really imagine my life without it. So, oh, that's awesome. That's You're what that song it. was. Was that I'm not I'm not looking at the ground under my feet. I'm looking ahead to the next thing. I love that. I love that message, and I also love the the cover art. That's a beautiful photo. Thank you, man. That's Terry Georgia, my buddy Terry Georgia, one of my best friends. Uh, shot that in South Dakota in the Badlands. Oh wow! And um, it was just a breathtaking shot. She was showing me some pictures, and I went, I gotta use this one. And so I did. And uh, I haven't paid her yet. <laughs> well, maybe no, I can, she, I can edit know, she, that part she out. She volunteered it. I probably should pay her at some point. She's a very close friend who basically came up with that cover image. It really says it because it's an it's not it's a winding road, but it's pretty smooth and it goes all the way to the horizon. And it's like there we are. Let's keep going. Let's see what's on the other side of that line. We'll wrap up with sleep tonight because it is late. 
for you, and I know you need to get some rest. It's a beautiful you, way to end the album, and I love. I actually well, do really like that song. Smoke rings hang in the frozen air Break into pieces and they disappear Don't know where they go, but they don't stay here I just hope I get some sleep tonight Sleep tonight the same situation that resulted in Tar Pit also resulted in her, in um, Oklahoma Skies and Sleep Tonight. And Oklahoma Skies was the wistful look at the inevitable. Tar Pit was the angry, you know, can't believe I fell for this. <laughs> and Sleep Tonight was, I mean, it's kind of hard to call it anything, but, but you know, kind of wallowing in your sorrow. And sort of realizing what the hell hit me. That, yeah. um it some of it didn't make sense and and the irony of you know you know the the metaphor of the smoke rings they they go away but where do they go when you blow smoke where does the smoke go it goes off into the atmosphere someplace into these little particulates but that's not very sexy songwriting so you just i put down that these feet i have these feelings but at the end of the day i just hope i get some sleep that looking for you know for relief and redemption that would manifest itself at some point in time. That's beautiful songwriting. It's a, just a great album. I, I've Thank really you. been enjoying listening to it. I got to let you get some sleep. Thank you so much for doing I this. It. This has been a blast. I would love to have you back on. If you're ever interested in doing another little, maybe, maybe we can do anytime, a little, a little uh, more extended. Anytime. Lucy's my guru. If, and if there's anything else that comes up, we can do this again. Like I say, I'm going to be, you know, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to be, um, on my cruise from Budapest, from Nuremberg to Budapest, starting the 5th. Before that, we're doing three days in Prague, just sort of a pre-cruise, you know, pump primer. Okay. And I've never been to any, I mean, I used to live in London, where I am now, but I've never been to Prague or, God, any of those towns. Nuremberg, wow. uh, you know, Regensburg, Roth, Passau, Vienna. Oh, my God, I oh, own wow. a freaking Vienna. <laughs> and then finishing up in... Um, Finishing up in Budapest, spending a day and a half there, and then going back to the United States straight into a festival. And I was gonna, I was gonna fly in, so I have the evening off and can rest up. And now they said, hey, "Would you, would you play our special event when you come in?" Well, okay, so I'm gonna be going about <laughs> 22 hours without sleep, and then I'll play it, ah. and I'll just sleep and refresh. Sleep is for babies. Sleep anyway. is for babies. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, I look forward to next time we get to talk. I found an angel heart under Oklahoma skies, wrapped in a Gentle as the night It was the purest sound That I had ever known 
to a song I'll never 